Genesis 44, the brothers, they're on their way back home. They think everything's awesome. We rewind a bit and we see Joseph's perspective. Verse 1, it tells us, And he commanded the steward of the house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks? with which he indeed practices divination. You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these things? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. And this is a common practice we have seen in the brothers. They have been trying to justify themselves in almost every chapter we've looked at so far, right? We are honest men, how they say it to Joseph. They tell their dad, the man that they've lied to for the last 22 years, hey, dad, we are honest men, but that man, he was a big meanie to us, right? And here they're trying to justify themselves again, saying we would never do such things. What are you talking about? What's going on? And then in verse 8 it says, look. We brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Last time the money was back in our bags and we brought it back to you. We paid you back before we ate together. Verse 9. With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. Again, these brothers were so sure of themselves. And again, the sweet thing is they trusted each other so much that they're willing to make these crazy comments, right? Whoever you find that goblet, that cup with, let them die. And the rest of us, the rest of us, the ten of us will become your slaves. They trusted in themselves, in their nature so much. But Joseph, he already knows what's going on, right? Verse 10, and he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Hey, we don't have to spill a bunch of blood here. We don't have to keep everybody. We'll just keep one guy. Everybody else is okay. Verse 11, then each man speedily, they quickly, they let down their bag to the ground, and each of them opened his sack. And so he searched, and he began with the oldest, and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Again, how as they were opening the bags, how the brothers must have thought, man, these guys are crazy, right? That man is insane. What's going on? Bag after bag. Nobody's going to have it. Nobody's going to have it. And then the horror to see that Benjamin is the one that stole the cup, right? Little brother, he's got sticky fingers. What in the world is going on, right? Why would you do such a thing, Benjamin? We were out. We were in the clear. And now... This young book out of nowhere decided to steal from the man that has taken care of us and has fed us. And the horror that happened, right? Verse 13, right away they tear their clothes. And then each man, they loaded their donkey back up 
And now they return to the city. And here we begin to see some of the changes and differences in these men. They had no problems selling Joseph off, collecting 20 pieces of silver, and then making a plan so that they looked like they were good and okay and fine. But here their brother is arrested for stealing, and yet they all load up and they return back into the city. They don't just say, hey, peace, Benny. We'll see you later, right? They all go back with him. Verse 14, so Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him to the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? And again, this is a part of Joseph's cover-up. Joseph's relationship with God, he would never practice divination or witchcraft or anything like that. He got it directly from the source. But in this day and age, people would use weird things to talk with demons or to try to figure out things. They would have these cups that they would look into. I think as kids, we've all seen the little, right, the little glass ball that just has smoke and sparklies. And we think the future comes from out of there, right? Fortune tellers. Uh, in Canaan, they would take animals and cut the liver in half. And if it bled a lot, they would go to war. And if it didn't, they wouldn't go to war. Bunch of weird things like that, that people try to hear from God and God's plans. So he tells this to them, verse 16. Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What can we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Again, we know that Joseph's servant put the cup in there. But the other ten brothers, they legitimately think Benjamin decided to steal this goblet. Benjamin decided to steal this. And yet you see the difference in Judah before they were all trying to justify themselves. And now being faced with the truth. What do they say? We have no answer. Our sins, our iniquities, they've been found out. What in the world can we say? And family, this is our progression in our walk and relationship with Jesus. That in the beginning we're trying to justify ourselves. I've done enough good works. I'm not as bad as that other person. I go to church often. I go to youth groups, so I'm not that bad. But that's not a true believer in Jesus Christ. A true believer in Jesus Christ, when faced with perfection, is the only way to get into heaven. All they can say is, I got nothing to say. There's nothing I can say that can get me into heaven except the name of Jesus Christ. Except having that friendship and relationship with him. Verse 17 Joseph answers, he says, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Again, Joseph, he made it easy for them. He served them up a softball like they had taken in the past. Don't worry, all 11 of you don't have to suffer. I'll just keep Benjamin and the 10 of you can go free. And now in verse 18, we see Judah coming and speaking up for his youngest brother and also for his father. We see a difference and a change in Judah's life. In Genesis 37, it's one of the last times that we see Judah really speaking up. And it had to deal with Joseph while he's in the pit, while he's in the dry well. And in Genesis 37... Verse 25, right? Verse 24 says, Then they took him, they threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. 
And then they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and they looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, myrrh, and on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hands be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listened. Again, this is the last time Judah was speaking up for his youngest brother, right? Was, hey, who cares? Why are we going to kill him? We don't even make money off of that. Might as well get the 40 pieces of silver and give him up. But now Judah, we see him interceding on behalf for Benjamin and on behalf of his father. And thank the Lord, right? Jesus from the tribe of Judah, where is he right now? He's interceding on our behalf. He's speaking on behalf of us to the Father. And we're going to see, again, the example that God uses through men in the Old Testament showing Jesus. Verse 18, then Judah came near and he said, oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asks his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die but you said to your servants unless your youngest brother comes down with you you shall see my face no more so it was when we went up to your servant my father that we told him the words of my lord and my father said go back and buy us a little food but we said we cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us then we will go down for we may not see the man's face Unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, but I have not seen him since. And this is interesting because we don't really see any other time when Joseph knows what happened with dad, right? Hey, I was dad's favorite, he gave me the fancy clothes. Why hasn't he looked for me? Why hasn't he sent word for me? Does he hate me like my ten brothers did? Did he give up on me? What's going on? And now this is the first time we see that Joseph is hearing the cover-up that the brothers had fed their dad. And we don't see Joseph standing up or stabbing them or chopping them up. We see him holding calm. And listening to what's going on. Verse 29. But if you take this one also from me. And calamity befalls him. You shall bring down my gray hair. With sorrow to the grave. Now therefore when I come to your servant. My father. And the lad is not with us. Since his life is bound up in the lad's life. It will happen. When he sees that the lad is not with us. That he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety. I guaranteed the lad to my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please 
Let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Again, here we see their heart is breaking for their dad. Whereas before they could care less. After they sell Joseph into slavery, they come to their dad. And what do they do? They have Joseph's fancy coat, right? They rip it up. They dip it in blood. And they just give it to the dad. Is this Joseph's, right? Oh, perhaps the animal killed him, right? They can care less about their dad, what he's going to feel, what he's going to think, the emotion he's going to go through. But now Jacob, he seems consumed with pleasing his father. We see the change here, the difference here. We see the sacrificial love that demonstrates that we are disciples of Jesus Christ taking place in the life and heart of Judah. Let's turn to John chapter 13. Verse 34 tells us, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Again, this sacrificial love. In Judah's mind, in Judah's heart, Benjamin is a thief. Benjamin stole when he had no business to steal this goblet from this vice president of the country. And yet he is willing to say, hey, let me bear his guilt. Let me bear his sentence. I know I have a family at home. I know I have a wife. I know I have kids. But you know what? Let me take his place. And family, that's the heart that we should have when we deal with people. Are we willing to say, hey, let me take your place. Let me take your guilt. Not your place at the high seat. Now your place and your job makes more money. So, hey, can I take your place? But saying, hey, I'm willing to take your punishment. I am willing to take the harder load. I am willing to take the smaller piece of cake, right? That's where it starts, at the dinner table, right? Well, there's only one piece of cake left. Let's fight for it, right? Or you try to sneak your way. No, you just let it go. Hey, you can have it. I'm just demonstrating how much I love Jesus, right? No, that's not what you should be saying. But are we living sacrificially? Husbands, are you living sacrificially for your wife? Wives, are you living sacrificially for your husband? Parents, kids, are we living in a sacrificial manner that my life's goal and mission is not do what's best for Zach, but a do what's best for the Lord and then do what's best for others. That's sort of the two commandments he gives us, right? None of the commandments say, hey, love yourself as much as possible, right? Even though the world tells you, you just got to love yourself, right? You got to love yourself before you can love others. Again, that's not what the Bible says whatsoever. But what God's word does say is, hey, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two commandments. So here we see Judah. He loves his dad. He's concerned with how his dad is going to react if Benjamin doesn't come back. And then he's concerned with Benjamin. And again, family, that's how we should be acting with one another. A, I want to love the Lord with everything I got. And I want to love you, man, as I love myself. And I love myself a whole lot. I don't know about you guys. I don't know how much you guys love yourselves or are consumed with yourselves. But, hey, I love myself. I'm consumed with myself because myself is in my brain, right? When I'm going to sleep and I feel the AC, I don't think of what Amanda feels. I just think, hey, I'm cold or, hey, I'm hot, right? When we're driving and I'm hungry, that's the only thing I think of. Hey, I'm hungry, so let me do something about this, right? 
I'm not consumed with what others are thinking, but now as we come to the Lord and he transforms us, then we're like Christ. And he was, again, consumed with two things, pleasing the Father and loving others. But now we go back to Genesis 45. Judah has given this beautiful, right, this speech, this history, trying to intercede on behalf of his father and trying to intercede on behalf of his brother. He's not to protect himself. He's out there to protect his own neck. He's out there trying to protect his dad and trying to protect his brother. And again, the emotions this must be causing within Joseph. Verse 1, then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Again, imagine being these 11 brothers. This guy's losing it, right? This guy's loony. He starts screaming in Hebrew, right? My brother just gave a beautiful dissertation. Now he just starts screaming in Egyptian, sorry, not Hebrew. Everybody leaves the house, and now he's weeping. This guy, he's crazy, man. What in the world is going on with this guy? And then in verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, right, in Hebrew, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? And again, the jaw is dropping, right? It's a miracle they all didn't just have heart attacks and drop on the floor. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. That word dismayed is not just freaking out. It's not just having their jaws on the floor. It's that they were amazed frightened or even terrified again imagine the brother that you dealt so much harm to 22 years ago is now the second most powerful man in the entire planet right and he just cleared the room it's only you and him if it was one of our movies right he'd pull out the katanas and he'd start killing everybody right just chop them all up he put them into slavery for the next 22 years yeah revenge right But here we see how we as believers should be acting. And why should we be acting like this? Because this is how God acted with us. You see, the brothers, they never realized that Joseph was Joseph. Joseph has to keep proving himself. Joseph was the one that revealed himself to his brothers. That was Joseph's doing. If Joseph didn't want to reveal himself to his brothers, they would have gone on their merry way and it would have been over with. And in the same way, family, God reveals himself to us we can't take any credit for it we can't say hey i did x y or z and that's why now i deserve to hear from the lord and this is why i deserve to have salvation we can turn to romans chapter one and we will see how just like joseph god is the initiator god is the one who revealed himself to us romans chapter one Verse 16 through 20, it tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness 
because what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Again, we're without excuse. God is the one that reveals himself to us. A, we're without excuse. And B, we can't give ourselves any credit. We can't pat ourselves on the back for what we have done for God to reveal himself to us. He's the one that has done it. We may have answered the calling, but God is the one that has revealed himself to us. And if we're honest, the first time that we've had that true encounter with the Lord, we're freaking out just as these brothers did. And this is also a picture later on when Jesus will reveal himself to the Jewish people. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Again, family, all of humanity, if we're honest, we've been pushing away the Lord. We've been pushing away Jesus, right? Stephen, as he addresses the Pharisees, he goes through the history of the Jewish people, how they have always pushed away the prophets of God. They always pushed away God truly revealing himself to them. And again, when we get to heaven, many people are going to be confused, freaking out that the God that they hated so desperately, the Jesus they spoke so ill of, is the one who's going to judge if they enter into heaven or hell for all of eternity. Again, you can think of Saul on the road to Damascus, right? The confusion, his world was just broken and shattered. He thought he was doing God's work. And then Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? And I hope you've been able to taste of that with the Lord, that we were against him, we were enemies of him, and all of a sudden he reveals himself to us. We go back to Genesis 45, and then in verse 4, what are some of Joseph's first actions in revealing who he is to his brothers? Verse 4, he says, please come near to me. So they came near, and then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Again, please come near. Joseph's brothers, they don't know how to react. They're still fearful. Again, it's a miracle they didn't have heart attacks or all pass out. But they all took a step back. They were all scared. The brother that they've let go for the last 22 years, again, he's a vice president in Egypt. But notice how Joseph responds to them. The first actions he does is, hey, come near to me. Hey, come close. Hey, come close. And that's exactly how Christ deals with us. When he reveals who he truly is to us, he wants us to come near. He desires, he wills that no one would perish. That's his desire. That's his heartbeat. And now in verse 5 it says, But now do not therefore be grieved. Or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. 
and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Again, I hope you guys are convicted. I'm convicted. That's not how I would be dealing with someone who has wronged me for the last 22 years and has hidden it. Beat me up, threw me in a well, sold me into slavery. I don't know if that's how I would be dealing. But again, what are Joseph's first actions after revealing who he was? First question, how is dad? Again, concerned about the father. How is dad? The second one, please come near to me. Draw near to me. And now the next one, don't be grieved or angry with your sins. And again, how the Lord deals with us. He doesn't... Pretend like your sins aren't a big deal. He doesn't try to make you forget about them. He doesn't try to pretend like they don't exist. Joseph says it several times. Hey, you sold me into slavery. You brought me here. But don't worry. Don't be condemned. And again, we need to hear the bad news before we can take the good news, right? We need the bad news that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death, right? But what's the gift of God? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. And again, this is how Joseph reacts and acts with his brothers. Hey, don't be angry with yourselves. God has used this for his glory. God has allowed this to be a part of his plan and use evil and wickedness to save life. Again, how do we deal with others when they've wronged us? How do we deal with our spouses, our kids when they've wronged us, right? Do we send them to the couch? Or do we, in like some sort of weird scenario, we send ourselves to the couch, right? I've never gotten that one. It's like a kid when they're mad and they put themselves on timeout. But, um, right, what do we do? What do we do when we feel that we've been, man, I don't deserve this? Right away, he says, hey, don't be condemned. We read it last week, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The moment that Judah and the brothers say, hey, we have nothing we can say. We're guilty. We've done wrong. We deserve the worst of the worst. Right away, Joseph says, hey, you guys have sinned, but there's no condemnation. You guys have sinned, but I want to welcome you into the family. He did not downplay their sins. But yet he entrusted their sins into God's plans, knowing that if it happened, God allowed it to happen. Again, family, who's greater in your universe? Is it mankind or is it the Lord? As different things happen in your life, do you just blame it all on people? Or are you willing to say, okay, God, you allowed this. Lord, you allowed this to happen. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've been just before God. They've been righteous before God. They didn't bow down to the idols like the rest of everyone did. Now they're about to be faced with trial, persecution, a fiery furnace. And in verse 17, they say, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, even if that's not what God decides to do, Let it be known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. 
Again, family, do you trust God enough that things might not go according to your plans? And now all of a sudden you just throw him out of the driver's seat, right? Hey, we're done here. I really wanted this and I didn't get it. So, Lord, we're done here. Or do we continue to entrust our perfect father to say, hey, Lord, I think you can save us. I believe you can save us. But even if we die here, Lord, we're cool with it. That's your plan. That's your purpose. We can turn to Matthew chapter 10. And again, another great reminder to us. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. It tells us, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore you are more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Again, family, if the Lord knows when a sparrow that's worth half a copper coin falls to the ground, the Lord knows what you're going through in this season. And he's allowed it for some reason. I don't know why. Joseph didn't know why the Lord was allowing different things to happen in that season. But then we get a choice. We make a decision. Are we going to become bitter and angry and have resentment towards the bad things that happen in our lives? Or do we say, okay, Lord, you're allowing this for some reason. May your perfect will be done in my life. Lord, make it count. Instead of being consumed with circumstances and people, we need to be consumed with, hey, God, what is your will in the midst of this? In the midst of this trial, in the midst of this persecution, Hey, God, what is your will? Perhaps you're like Job. And God right now, he's bragging about you in heaven. Don't let him down. Keep fighting the good fight. Stay strong. Perhaps you're proudful. And you need to be brought low. Don't try to do it yourself. Don't try to fight it. Allow the Lord to humble you. In his due time, he'll raise you back up. Perhaps you're walking and going against the will of God. And in his infinite love, he's trying to protect you from making a decision and a choice that will haunt you for many years. Don't fight it. Trust in the Lord. Don't grow bitter against the Lord, against his discipline, against the allowance of trials in our lives. The Lord has a plan. And the Lord has a purpose. For Joseph... God's purpose and plan in Joseph's life was to preserve life. And family, if you're a believer here, you want to know the true God. One of his chief purposes in life is to preserve life. That's one of God's chief desires throughout all mankind. With Noah, what did he have Noah doing? Preaching every single day. Hey, come, let's get in the ark. Come, let's get in the ark. Come, let's be saved. He didn't have to do that. He could just send, poof, made an ark for Noah. Noah, get in the boat. We're wrecking this thing, right? He could have done that if it was just about judgment. But he wanted to preserve life. With Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and his wife, what did Abraham do? He interceded to try and preserve life over and over and over again. All throughout Scripture, our Lord, our God, our Creator, the one whom we are made in his image, he loves to preserve life. Again, family, he wills that no one would perish. And we can sometimes get consumed with preserving human life, but we need to preserve 
spiritual life as well. That we would be concerned with people's spiritual lives. Hey, am I preserving this person's eternal walk? Not just their life here in this life, but hey, am I preserving, am I keeping, am I strengthening the spirit which will last for all of eternity? Because each of us, we're going to live for forever, but are we going to live in heaven for all of eternity? Again, family, our desire should be to preserve life. That's God's desire. That should be our desire as well. So right away he asked, hey, how's dad doing? Hey, come closer. Hey, don't condemn yourselves. And now in verse 9, he turns back to them and they continue speaking. And he says, hurry up and go to my father. And say to him, thus says your son Joseph. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that this is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here, right? We don't know if they're all just all amazed still. Their jaws are still on the floor. Hey, guys, this is Joseph, right? I'm talking to you. You guys see my lips moving. This is Joseph. But again, look at what true forgiveness looks like. Not only do I forgive you, but I want you to be near to me. Not only do I forgive you, but I want to provide for you. Not only do I forgive you, but I want to take care of you. Right? Is this how we forgive other people? I'll be honest with you guys. That's not how my flesh wants to forgive people, right? Usually if I'm a really good Christian, it's like, hey, I forgive you, but I never want to see you again, right? If we're honest. Hey, I forgive you, but just run and don't come back, right? I forgive you, but I won't forget you, right? That's the different things we go through in our flesh. Imagine someone that has just stabbed you in the back and you say, you know what? Not only do I forgive you, the house next to me is for sale. I'm going to buy it for you. I want you to be right next to me. We both live in a townhouse. I want us to share the wall, right? I want your kids to run around in my front yard. That's what I want. But that's how the Lord forgives us. You see, God, he doesn't just forgive us and say, hey, stay away, right? I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you of your sins. Not only did I create you, form you in your mother's womb, I kept you alive until now. Now you accepted salvation, but now stay away, right? Don't get on my bad side. That's not what our Lord does. What does he do with the prodigal son? He welcomes him in right away. He hugs him. He embraces him. He kisses him on the neck. Right away he puts on the expensive robes on him. He gets the parriada ready. They didn't eat lechon or pig, right? He gets the cajachina ready. Say, hey, we're going to have a huge party because my son who was lost, hey, now he is found. He has come home. And family, that's how the Lord treats us when he forgives us. But how do we forgive others? How do we forgive others? Lord, hey, I want the full forgiveness, but let's give him 5%, right? I'll give him half, God. I'll give him half. Maybe I'll put a ring on his finger. That's about it. That's all I'm going to do. 
Are we truly seeking to forgive and be restored and to love on people, right? I want to be close to you. I want to provide for you. I want to take care of you. Verse 14, then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck, right? For all we know, Benjamin, he's only heard that he's dead. Benjamin didn't hear about the cover-up. Benjamin didn't know that there's a chance that he still may be alive, that he was sold into slavery. As far as Benjamin probably knew, his brother was dead. And does Joseph only restore himself with Benjamin? Verse 15, moreover, he kissed all his brothers and he wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Again, hey, bros, we got a lot of catching up to do. How the last 22 years of life been? Are you guys married? Did you ever get married? Were you able to get married? Right? What did they talk about? What are your wives like? What are your kids like? What, what is, how is dad doing? And again, the heart of Joseph for that complete restoration. Not only did he want to forgive them, he wanted to have a friendship and relationship with them. Verse 16, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come to it. Please Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments." Again, it may be difficult for us to understand, maybe a little bit gross for some, but to have more than one change of clothes in this day and age, you're considered a rich man, right? You're considered a wealthy person. And what we just read is when they found out that Benjamin had stolen the cup, what did they all do? Right? They all ripped their clothes up. So we don't know. Maybe Joseph says, hey, I don't want you guys going back to dad, having to walk all those miles with your shirts ripped in half. We don't know what it was. But again, the love of Joseph to his family. And again, Benjamin, that was his only true blood brother. He gives him 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And again, we don't see difficulty. We don't see friction. We don't see the other 10 brothers having problems, their blood boiling because of favoritism for the youngest brother. Verse 23, he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, Bread and food for his father for the journey. And again, why did Pharaoh want to bless his brother so much? Was it because of what they had done? Was it because of their relationship with Pharaoh? The only reason Pharaoh wanted to bless them is because of Joseph. Joseph was the middleman, right? And the only way we taste of the blessings and goodness of God is if we're connected in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way you get to taste of God's goodness is when you are in a right relationship and friendship with God. Again, imagine if Pharaoh would have found out a couple days ahead of time 
what these brothers had done to Joseph. Joseph was the hero of all of Egypt, right? It wasn't Captain America. It was Captain Joseph everywhere, right? He was the hero. He saved all of Egypt. So if he would have heard a couple days prior that his brothers left him for dead, sold him into slavery, I think Pharaoh would have probably killed them. But now because their relationship is right with Joseph, now Pharaoh, he just wants to bless them and give them the goodness of Egypt. He says, hey, don't go back walking or just on your donkeys, right? Take the nicest RV I have. Take all these 18-wheelers. Load up the stuff. Go there. Put your old dad. Put him in the RV. Come back. Come back comfortably. Put him in first class. Send him the private plane. And this is Pharaoh's heart because of his relationship with Joseph and how their relationship with Joseph. Verse 24, so he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. You see, Joseph knew that his brothers were still prone to sin and bickering and fighting. Joseph still had to warn them, hey, everything is good. Everything is awesome. Don't fall back into sin. Don't try to steal Benjamin's extra clothes, right? Don't try to steal his silver. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful that you do not become troubled along the way. The other part of this is, I don't know how long that journey was, but it was very bittersweet, right? Hey, who's going to talk to dad, right? You, you talk to dad first. I, I got I to gotta clean the wagons. You, you go talk to dad, right? Who's going to tell dad all of the good news and the bad news, right? So now verse 25, they went out of Egypt and they came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him saying, Joseph is still alive. And he is the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still. That is, his heart became like stone because he did not believe them. Again, 22 years of pain, of brokenheartedness, maybe bitterness towards the Lord. Verse 27, but when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived And again, family, for people to really believe that you're a son or a daughter of God, you have to have blessings in your life. And this isn't some sort of off name it and claim it type stuff. But do you have peace? Do you have joy? Do you have holiness in your life? If you don't have any, if there's no carts behind you in your life, you say, yeah, I'm a child of God. I've been walking with the Lord. And they look behind you. And there's nothing but a trail of problems and friction and fighting I don't believe, right? My heart is stone. I don't believe that. But now when they look behind you and they see the way you live, they see the fruit in your family, the fruit in your coworkers, then they can see and say, wow, they truly do walk with the Lord. Some of the scholars, they say, Jacob seeing these carts outside, right, would be as if somebody landed a 747 in your driveway. That's what it would have looked like. Hey, that not only is Joseph alive, but he's the second most powerful man in the entire planet. I don't believe you guys. Look outside. There's a 747 in the street. I didn't even know we could fit that thing in the street, but look outside, right? And his spirit was revived. Now, verse 28, then Israel said, right? Notice, now it says, Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. 
And here we see such a difference in, right, Jacob and Israel. It's the same person. We see Israel now having that heart to say, Lord, this is enough. In Genesis 42, verse 36, it said, And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Right? When you're in the middle of the trial, you think, Lord, everything is against me. What else could go wrong, right? But now when we focus on the Lord and we allow him to take us through the trial, when we're focused on him, when we're not getting bitter or hard, we can say, Lord, I'm satisfied. Lord, this is enough, right? And what does he say? I'm going to go, I'm going to see Joseph, and I'm going to die. My life will be fulfilled. My life will be great. I can see him, and then I can go. And again, family, how the Lord treats us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Again, remember scripture. It doesn't say all things work out easy for those who love God. All things work out easy for those who are the called according to his purpose. No, all things work together for good. The trials in your life, the hard seasons in your life, you hold on desperately to the Lord, and it's going to work out good. The Lord, he has plans and purposes for you. But again, family, how the Lord treats us, the love and goodness of the Lord. And I can't help thinking of myself within the story, right? And I don't know which character you are reading the story, reading the history. I think many times we can think we're Joseph, right? Everyone has done me wrong. Others have stabbed me in the back. Others have done X, Y, or Z to me. But the more you read it, the more you look at yourself and say, I'm one of Joseph's brothers. I'm one of the brothers. Lord, Lord, you revealed to me dreams of me bowing down my will and my life to your plan. And Lord, I hated that. I wanted nothing to do with having to bow down my life, my pride, my plans. Lord, I wanted nothing to do with you. In fact, Lord, I'm willing to kill any messenger you send to me that would tell me that I have to humble my life to serve you, I want nothing to do with that. And yet years later, who's the only one capable of saving all of these brothers? It's Joseph. They come right back to where they started, right? And I don't know if that's you. That you remember the days when you would turn your back on the Lord. When the Lord would reveal himself to you and you say, no, Lord, not now. Right? For me, I never wanted to work with my dad. Never wanted to work with my brother, my brother-in-law. I never wanted to work at church. Lord, anything but work at church, right? Be a pastor? No way, Lord. I want nothing to do with that. And now I get to look back and say, Lord, I was so foolish. You revealed your plans, your will for me, the dreams you had for me. But in my pride, in my arrogance, I didn't want to bow down to it. So again, family, may that not be us. May that not be us that we're still so hard that we're saying, Lord, I am not willing to humble myself to be obedient to you. Lord, I am not willing to lay down my life, my plans, my ideas, my sins. Lord, I'm not willing to lay that down because family, the only one that's going to be able to save you today and for all of eternity is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the only one that's going to be able to save you. And just as the brothers, they hated Joseph, they wanted to kill him, they wanted to kill the dreams, where did they find themselves? Bowing down at Joseph's feet begging and pleading for mercy. 
So again, we talked about that. There's going to be one day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But there'll be many that day who will be surprised. There'll be many that day, like Joseph's brothers, freaking out and realizing what in the world did I do with my life. May that not be us. Today, this morning, you can say, Lord, I humble myself. Your plans, your will, may it be done in my life, Lord. I humble myself. I choose to put my life down. I choose to discipline myself. I choose to crucify my flesh that Christ may live in me.